Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on WNCK.FM Internet Radio. All right, here we are for the January 19th, 2020 issue or broadcast of the Consumer Review Report. And uh, so we made it another week. Seems like the weather is getting more winter-like as the week goes on. Um, anyways, if you have any ideas on any products or services you would like to hear about on the show, you can contact me via email at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have uh, a product that you would like to absolutely rave about or a product that uh, maybe didn't treat you so well, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so on this week's show, we have a potpourri of consumer news, starting with news about a pharma company that thinks they can undercut drug pricing, and I'll air audio of an interview from CNBC with the founder and CEO of that company. Uh, Next, we'll talk about the top consumer trends predicted for 2020. And Theo Joe will catch us up on the coolest tech you missed at the Consumer Electronic Show when we air the audio from him. And I'll also talk about the Wall Street Journal article on news about Facebook's Oculus virtual reality headset. So finally, I guess they are coming out with their virtual reality headset that normally would have to be tethered. But this one, you do not have to tether the headset and it gives you more freedom. And I think that that is the um, thing that they are touting. That's the best thing about this headset. And then if we have time, or if we don't, I'll save for next time. Uh, I'll go over the best and worst airports in 2019. So this is all coming up after the weekly recalls. So let's get to the recalls. Alrighty, so there's not too much to discuss this week. We have um, two consumer product recalls and I've been putting them on my Facebook page uh, all of last week. Um, So if you miss out on this broadcast, you can always go to my uh, Facebook page, Consumer Review Report, and uh, there will be the recalls, and there will also be pictures of the products, so if you are concerned that you have any of those products, you can look at the picture and uh, who who is the, uh, what's the brand, and then you can go to www.recalls.gov also, if you're concerned you have any of these products and it will tell you uh, what to do. Uh, do you send it back? Do you get a refund? Uh, what websites to contact? What phone numbers to call? All of that on www.recalls.gov. So 
Here are the two consumer product recalls of the week. The Thompson's Company recalls aerosol waterproofing wood and masonry protectors due to fire hazard. The contents of the cans can react with the package causing rust to form along the can seam which could spread to other areas of the can and create pinhole leaks. <clears throat> so then when uh, then the leaking propellant poses a fire hazard when it comes into contact with sources of ignition. So again the Thompson's company recalls aerosol waterproofing wood and masonry protectors due to fire hazard. The second consumer product we have is Baby Trend recalls Tango Mini Strollers due to fall hazard. Both of the stroller hinge joints can release and collapse under pressure, posing a fall hazard to children in the stroller. Alright, this week we have four FDA recalls and safety alerts. The first one from Denton Pharma. Their Northwind Pharmaceuticals voluntarily recalls all unexpired lots of the ranitidine tablets and ceases distribution due to possible presence of NDMA impurity. As you know, from the past weeks, ranitidine is an acid and antihistamine, and it can treat and prevent heartburn, uh, but it has this uh, presence of NDMA, which it can cause cancer. So they are recalling everything that has ranitidine in it. Lapari Foods issues voluntary recall expansion on additional sandwiches due to potential contamination of Listeria. Uh, they have issued a voluntary recall expansion of additional Primo and Fresh Grab sandwiches due to potential contamination of Listeria. Also, Lapari Foods issues recall of various wedge deli sandwiches due to potential contamination of Listeria. Uh, they recall various Primo and Fresh Grab wedge sandwiches as well due to potential contamination of Listeria. Yes to Ink issues voluntary recall of product due to skin irritation complaints. Grapefruit Vitamin C Glow Boosting Unicorn Paper Mask. So they are recalling the Grapefruit Vitamin C Glow Boosting Unicorn Paper Mask in response to complaints of skin irritation and redness. Alright, so that's it. We don't have any FSIS Food Safety Inspection Service recalls this week or any new ones. So that will do it for our recall portion of the show. So, let's go ahead and get into the main event. Um, <clears throat> the main event is a lot of news today, as I said at the beginning of the show. Well, the first uh, topic we'll cover is, a, there was a Wall Street Journal article entitled, High Drug Prices, Farmer Startup Thinks It Has the Right Medicine, and this was written by Joseph Walker. Now, before we get into this article, let's take a listen to some audio from a video posted on YouTube by the Wall Street Journal describing how drug prices work. So let's go ahead and take a listen. You might think the process that determines how much you pay for something is pretty straightforward. And it often is. For example, 
Here's the supply chain for a beverage you might buy at the drugstore, say a Pepsi. PepsiCo manufactures the soda and sends it to a retailer who sells it to a customer. The customer pays the retailer and the retailer pays PepsiCo. Simple, right? Well, that is not the case for the products behind the pharmacy counter, the drugs. Here's a typical supply chain for prescription drugs. It looks really different. That's because the way that drugs are priced is not at all a straightforward process. Experts and politicians argue that the very complexity of this chain is part of why drug prices have grown so high for customers. Everyone involved in the broken system, the drug makers, insurance companies, distributors, pharmacy benefit managers, and many others contribute to the problem. To understand this debate, first you should understand the flow of drugs and money within this chain. Let's start here, with the pharmaceutical companies. They're the ones who develop a drug and set a price, known as the list price. This isn't as straightforward as it might look, which we'll explain in a moment. Next, you have the wholesalers who transport the drugs and sell them to the pharmacies. The patient pays the copay, and the pharmacy sends out a bill that gets paid by the insurance company. That's simple enough, but we're missing a link, the link that manages this transaction and adds a lot of complexity to the chain. Meet the pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs. They're who the drug companies and some politicians are talking about when they refer to middlemen. They work for insurance companies, big employers, and government agencies. And a big part of their job is to bring down the cost of drugs for their employers. They do this by negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for rebates. Yep, for many of the drugs a pharmaceutical company sells, it pays a rebate to the PBM. The PBM sometimes pockets a portion of the rebate and passes another portion on to the insurance company or employer. Why the pharmaceutical company pays these rebates is the source of a lot of controversy. What happens is the drug company gets moved up on something called a formulary. So what's a formulary? It's the list of drugs that the insurance company covers, and it's grouped in tiers. Each tier represents what portion of the list price the patient pays and what portion of the list price the insurance company pays. The highest tier in the formulary is the lowest copay for the patient, and the lowest tier is the highest copay for the patient. When the pharmaceutical company pays a higher rebate, the PBM will move the drug up on the formulary. Pharmaceutical companies want high placement on the formulary. That's because patients are more likely to take the drug that's most affordable, and that usually means higher sales for the pharmaceutical company. If a patient wants to take a drug that's lower down on the formulary, or not on it at all, they have to pay higher co-pays, or even the full list price of the drug. If this seems confusing, that's because it is. Let's take another walk through that transaction, this time with an example. Say a hypothetical drug costs $100. A PBM negotiates a $50 rebate, $10 of which they pocket, and $40 of which they pass on to the insurance company or employer. In return for that rebate, the PBM moves the drug to a better spot on the formulary, making it cheaper for the patient to buy the drug. 
This transaction is important because the pharmaceutical companies say it's a big reason they keep raising the price of drugs. You've probably seen a chart like this before. It's the rise in the price of a drug in the U.S., in this case, Humalog, according to its maker, Eli Lilly. The pharmaceutical companies say they have to raise list prices to protect their sales and profits from the demands of these higher rebates. Here's the CEO of the pharmaceutical company Merck at a hearing on drug prices. If you bring a product to the market with a low list price in this system, you get punished financially and you get no uptake because everyone in the supply chain makes money as a result of a higher list price. And here's that Humalog chart again, this time with the net price, or the average revenue that Eli Lilly says they take in under this system. For their part, the PBMs say the drug companies don't have to raise prices to boost their bottom lines, and that rebates reduce the cost of drugs, not inflates them. They say rebates reduce the real cost of prescription drugs because they lower the price that insurance companies pay. That helps the insurers lower the premiums that the patients have to pay for their plans. Here's Derricka Rice, an executive vice president at CVS Caremark, one of the pharmacy benefit managers. Our job is to work with the employers, unions, and government programs we serve to ensure that when their members get to the pharmacy counter, they get the medicines that they need at the lowest possible cost. So what does all of this mean for the patient back at the pharmacy counter? At the heart of all this is that what the patient pays is often based on the list price, not the price the insurance company is responsible for after the rebates. And patients who don't have insurance or co-insurance or who have really high deductibles sometimes pay the entire list price. It's important to know that the details surrounding rebates are shrouded in mystery. Pharmaceutical companies and PBMs don't release their rebate data, saying it's proprietary. But it's clear that different people and different insurance companies pay different prices for the same drugs. As you can see, the way that prices work behind the counter is totally different from how they work in front. Okay, so I hope that gives you a little background on how drug prices usually work. Sometimes we badger the, you know, pharmaceutical companies for raising their prices, but it's not always all their fault. It's every middleman in the middle, too, that uh, before it gets to the consumer. So here is an article in the Wall Street Journal, January 13th issue. <clears throat> And it's about a startup pharmaceuticals company uh, that wants to capitalize on the backlash against high drug prices by developing slightly different versions of expensive brand name drugs and selling them at a significantly lower price than competitors. The new company, EQRX Inc., aims to bring 10 drugs to market over the next decade and sell them for perhaps as little as one-third to one-fifth of rivals' prices. The company's co-founder and chief executive, Alex Borisi, said, Mr. Borisi didn't specify which drugs the company wants to develop first, but said the focus is on treatments for cancer, autoimmune, and inflammatory diseases. 
Drug treat, uh, drugs treating those conditions currently can cost tens of thousands of dollars a year. And we think we could create great, equally as good or better new drugs. Mr. Borisi, a longtime healthcare industry executive and venture capitalist, said in an interview. And we'll be hearing an interview uh, uh, with Mr. Borisi uh, that was posted by CNBC on YouTube uh, in just a moment. Uh, we can make them available to society in a radically more affordable way at a fraction of the cost of where drugs are priced in the industry today. The new business is the latest example of how high drug costs have prompted hospital groups, uh, states such as California, and now drug industry insiders to explore alternative models for making drugs at lower prices. The drug industry is bracing for potential pricing regulations from Washington either this year or after the presidential election because of popular outrage over costs. Now, price inflations for drugs has slowed in recent years under the threat of new regulations, but expensive brand-name drugs remain unaffordable for some patients. EQRX, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, will develop Me Too drugs. And Me Too is a industry jargon for medicines that emulate the biological function of existing drugs but have molecular structures distinct enough to avoid infringing patents of drugs on the market while they earn their own patent protection. Drug makers have sold Me Too drugs for decades but have typically sold them at a price uh, at prices similar uh, to competitors. EQRX will take a different tack and undercut rivals' list prices by exploiting what it sees as pricing inefficiencies in the pharmaceuticals market, as well as technological advances that have made new medicines faster and cheaper to design. Uh, and that's a that's a quote from Mr. Borsi. Um, the company aims to have its first drug on the market within five years. The new company is likely to face many potential challenges, according to industry officials and healthcare experts. It will have to test its Me Too drugs in costly studies, unlike generic medicines, which are copies of branded drugs and don't require new clinical trials to win approval from the Food and Drug Administration. The company also will have to penetrate the drug industry's opaque and Byzantine payment system, which we just heard here uh, from the Wall Street Journal on that audio, where entrenched insurers and pharmacy benefit managers increasingly control which drug patients receive and when there are multiple competing products. Simply setting lower prices won't guarantee that insurers would place EQRX's drugs on their formulary lists of drugs they reimburse, nor that they would steer patients to them by reducing co-pays. Insurers sometimes direct patients to take higher-priced drugs because they have negotiated deals with manufacturers that provide retroactive discount and rebates which insurers sometimes keep a portion of. And that all we heard on that audio, exactly how that works. Now, if EQRX successfully injects price competition into the pharmaceuticals market, there could be lasting consequences, not all of them positive for industry. 
For instance, the industry's pricing power could be diminished over the long term, potentially making it less profitable, which could then shrink investment in the sector. EQRX's business model could convince lawmakers that the drug pricing issue can be addressed with market-based solutions rather than the blunt tool of government regulations. All right. So let me go ahead and air that audio of the interview with Mr. Borsi that was uh, posted by CNBC. Um, uh, and so let's go ahead and get to that now. Tech sector finished 2019 red hot. We could see more big moves uh, this week because the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference kicks off today. It's considered the sector's uh, investing event of the year, bringing together industry leaders, innovative startups that hope to shape the future of medicine. Meg Terrell is at the event in San Francisco. Joins us with a special guest. Hey, Meg. Hey, Joe. Well, that special guest is Alexis Borisi, the founder and CEO of a brand new company called EQRX, which has just raised $200 million to start a new company whose sole goal is to undercut the price of branded drugs. Now, you're talking about prices a third to a fifth of what current medicines are. Why has nobody done this yet, and how is this possible? So this is a golden age of innovation for uh, new medicines for patients. So why is it? at this moment in time when we have such powerful new medicines that people, when they have the ill fortune of needing one of those, that they worry, can they afford it? Will they even be able to have access to it at all? Do they need to skip doses? So at EQRX, we think the time is right now to be able to bring equally as good or better new medicines to patients and society, but at this radically more affordable price. Well, your industry, the industry where you've worked your entire career, founded more than a dozen companies has argued that it's not the drug industry's fault, it's the middlemen who keep these lower-priced medicines from getting to patients and who cause the access issues. Are you saying that that's not the case? If you come out with lower-priced drugs, it will actually help people be able to afford their medicines. So I think there are genuine issues uh, with the, the middlemen, as you say. However, let's step back and look at the broader context. The prices that we as an industry charge for our drugs have gone up ever more, more than an order of magnitude above the rate of inflation over the generation that I've been in this business. At the same time, technology, what we can do in both creating medicines, proving that they work, and delivering them, getting them to patients through the healthcare system, there are things we can do today that are radically different than what we could do before. And so at EQRX, we are trying to rethink, reimagine, re-engineer the whole way that we make medicines from creating them, proving they work, and getting them to patients. Why would your company be able to use these technologies in a way to lower the price of medicines where a competitor of Pfizer, a Merck, a Bristol wouldn't and just get more profitable? So when you look at disruptors in other industries, it's often been really hard for the legacy incumbents to be able to make these types of changes. It's not one technology. There's lots of different technologies in all sorts of different parts of how you create the drugs, prove they work, and bring them to patients. So if you will, we are literally re-engineering that entire process. And again, like disruptors in other industries, oftentimes what you need is a purpose-built new company, data science is native, to be able to make this happen. So who here at this JP Morgan conference, where literally everybody from the industry is present, who here should be worried? Who are you going after? Well, 
our, our ambitions are large. So we want to have our first drug on a market within five years. We'd like to have 10 on the market within 10 years. By 15 years, we want to have literally dozens and dozens of these great innovative new medicines at a radically more affordable price on the market. So if, our, if that could be at some point a third of uh, new drugs, that's something that then we think we'd actually be beginning to bend uh, uh, the curve in the industry. How do you choose your first targets? That is a really important question. So we haven't disclosed exactly which targets yet, but we're focused in the areas of oncology and immunoinflammation. We're looking for the areas where you have a very heavy burden to society and where you have that really high patient need. So when you think about Me Too drugs, I mean, this is essentially what you're creating here. You're not creating generics. You're not creating biosimilar drugs. You're going to have your own patent protection. I mean, other companies do this, but the pricing structure, they don't typically compete on price the way you're talking about. I mean, sometimes we see bigger rebates, but why don't we see that now? It's a great question. Me Too's have been a standard part of the industry for a long time. But exactly as you said, nobody has ever competed on price on it. Now, I don't think you can do this one drug or two uh, uh, medicines at a time. You need to do this systematically at scale. And again, we see EQRX as a purpose-built disruptor to do this. If you're going to change the way the whole system works, and there are so many things that are deeply messed up about our healthcare system and how drugs get all the way to patients, you need to do this at massive scale, doing this literally on dozens and dozens of drugs. So that's what we're trying to do. If you do this on dozens of dozens of drugs, and going back to the Amazon comparison, which you've made before, and JetBlue as well, the industry argues it needs to charge these high prices to support innovation. If you undercut the price of all of these drugs, if you're talking about a third of the drugs in the system, are you killing innovation in the drug industry in the US? So we think the opposite. We are trying to create the basis for sustainable in, uh, innovation in our industry for the long run. I think if people think that going forward the next 10 years, that pricing in the pharmaceutical industry is going to look what it's looked like in the past 10 years, then I think that they've got another think coming. We're trying to create a company that has the efficient infrastructure, all the way from creating drugs, proving that they work, and bringing them to patients so that we can provide that innovation in a sustainable manner for society and for the patients. Well, we talked a little bit about your history founding companies, and one of those companies is Blueprint Medicines. Just got a new cancer drug approved last week, and the price tag's $32,000 a month. You're on the board of that company. Can you sustain these kinds of relationships while also founding and running a new company designed to undercut the price of new drugs? So I've often been said that I'm a man of uh, many hats. Uh, <laughs> literally, you wear a lot Literally, I would have one on if not for the lights at the moment. <laughs> and uh, fundamentally, the most important hat of them all is about bringing breakthrough medicines to patients and trying to help people live healthy, healthy, happier, longer lives. It's what I've dedicated my uh, whole career to. I am so proud of the team at Blueprint, from with my co-founders when that was just a sketch in my notebook, to having that medicine that can make such an incredible difference for patients today. So deeply proud of that. I also recognize what we need to do going forward as an industry and what's possible today. And the spread between where prices have gotten and what technology makes possible to be able to be done today. And that spread is an enormous opportunity. At EQRX, what we're trying to do in many ways is very simple, but very difficult uh, to go and execute, is we say we see that opportunity and we want to re-engineer the system to bring these medicines to patients. 
Alrighty, so that is our segment on drug pricing. So let's move on to the consumer trends that may be coming up in 2020. Uh, I have an article here from the Wall Street Journal. It was the January 15th issue by Ellen Bryan. Uh, I'm sorry, Byron. Uh, It's entitled Robots, Mood Enhancers, and Scooters. Top Consumer Trends for 2020. Ten Predictions for How We'll Behave This Year. Again, by Ellen Byron. And uh, it seems like they took this from Euromonitor International. What are the biggest consumer trends set to shape 2020? Technology will drive many of the changes, predicts market researcher Euromonitor Euro Monitor International. People will face challenges in safeguarding their privacy online as they rely more on artificial intelligent devices at home, seek better transportation options, and expect highly personalized digital communication. Euromonitor says in its annual trend report. The year ahead will also bring clean air activism, heightened demand for reusable products, and greater inclusive inclusivity for all consumers the firm predicts Euromonitor a London-based global market research firm has released its forecasts since 2010 <clears throat> four years ago it correctly predicted the rise of the buying time trend which flagged how consumers wanted apps and online tools to save them time in 2018 Euromonitor also noted the rise of clean lifers consumers who choose to live more healthfully and ethically. But their forecasts haven't always come true yet. In 2018, a prediction that consumers would participate in the product creation process ended up being less impactful that year. Your monitor says, noting that it could still happen in the years ahead. The trend of companies using DNA-based personalization also didn't take off in 2018, as Euromonitor predicted, but by 2019, there was an uptick in activity, the company said. Here are its predictions for the biggest global consumer trends. Now, privacy concerns mount more. Consumers expect brands to customize products and services for them, but hesitate when such personalization requires surrendering surrendering personal information. Consumers remain suspicious of data collection efforts, with more than 40% of consumers believing that targeted ads based on online searches are an invasion of privacy, according to the 2019 Euromonitor survey. Younger consumers are more willing to share their data in exchange for personalized offers, but want transparency in how it will be used. Euromonitor predicts that legislation will shift more privacy control to consumers and will enable them to more proactively opt out of companies tracking their digital habits if it doesn't directly benefit them. Consumers will surely become progressively less trusting of companies extracting and using their data without transparency, adequate security, and opt-out options, Euromonitor says. Now, more robots consumers 
uh, they are beginning to accept that robots are or other types of art- artificial intelligence can perform jobs traditionally done by humans. They are buying more AI-enabled home appliances and virtual assistants like Amazon Alexa and adopting new habits to use them, including voice commands. Though complete trust of universal access to the technology will take more time, uh, we are embracing the concept of AI-driven robots for our own welfare, convenience, and comfort, Euromonitor says. The third type of consumer is homebodies. They predict that there will be, I guess, more homebody consumers uh, in 2020 during times of economic, political, or personal uncertainty. Consumers often want to retreat to their homes. Now, thanks to high-speed internet access, more at-home services, and faster delivery times, many fully can. The percentage of global households with access to broadband internet has doubled since 2010, allowing many consumers to work from home, according to Euromonitor research. Without having to leave the house to go to the office, consumers are reluctant to leave for any reason, the firm says. As a result, remote workers are fueling growth in areas such as internet... Uh, retailing, home fitness providers, and ready-to-eat food and grocery delivery at the expense of brick-and-mortar stores, gyms, and restaurants. And I, I always said that about myself. If I had a job that I could work at home, I probably wouldn't leave the house with all these conveniences. Uh, why would you have to, right? So other types of consumers that will be more prevalent in 2020 would be um, Ones that have instant gratification, shorter attention span means that people expect information to be as accessible as possible in the quickest possible time frame. Better travel. As the world's population becomes increasingly urban, residents are growing frustrated with congested roads and overcrowded public transportation. They predict more people will now turn to navigation apps to plan their journeys and offer real-time updates on the best way to travel via train, taxi, electric bike, scooter, helicopter, or a customized combination of them all, depending on time, budget, weather, and occasion. All right, the next uh, topic that consumers will be more uh, interested in is inclusivity. As more consumers want products that satisfy their needs as well as reflect their values, brands are shifting their products and services to be more accessible to everyone and adopting marketing that represents individuals beyond the mainstream. And that includes people with physical and mental disabilities. From fashion to toys, games, food service, and interior designs, brands are responding to a societal push for change, Euromonitor says. Here's another consumer uh, topic, local pride. More consumers want local brands and products, seeing them as more authentic and better representing their individuality. Clean air activism, awareness of air pollution is affecting more consumers' purchase decisions and pushing more brands to position themselves as environmentally conscious. The other product is reuse is the new recycle. Secular business models aim to promote sharing, reusing, refilling, and renting to avoid waste. And mood enhancement. Consumers are increasingly making purchase decisions to improve personal needs like anxiety or low energy, seeking products 
that offer mood enhancement and brain function boosts. <clears throat> okay, so that's your monitor's predictions. I have a audio from a video. It's called Top 18 Trends for 2020. This was posted by Trend, uh, trendhunters.com. Let's take a listen. Catalyzation through inclusive design, prosumerism with microlearning, and AI via deepfake productivity. Today, we hunt the top 18 trends of 2020. At 18, we look at our catalyzation megatrend, which is all about the desire to become a better person. Inclusive design is a trend in this space. Inclusivity and equality are top of mind for many. But how do we educate the generation of the future on such a complex topic? Refugee-focused schools, sensory playgrounds for kids with autism, and accessibility-friendly classrooms are a really great start. Machine learning music videos, deepfake dolly experiences, and AI-generated celebrities. At 17, we dive into the megatrend of AI through deepfake production. The AI megatrend is all about technology not only becoming smarter itself, but also making people smarter in the process. Deepfake production is the perfect example. This trend looks at deepfake education through entertainment and everyday media to make that message more accessible. Coming in at 16 is microlearning. Microlearning is a trend under the prosumerism megatrend, which is all about consumers as the experts and content creators. Livestream coding classes, anti-distraction e-learning, and Trendhunter's own upcoming e-learning platform are all examples of how microlearning helps people gain expertise and create for a new era. At 15, we explore the nostalgia megatrend through referential luxury. The nostalgia cycle is shortening in the social media age, with fashion references from the mid-aughts getting the spotlight. But with archival tributes to Phoebe Philo Celine, the re-release of the famous Dior saddlebag, and homage to Helmut Lang's original cab campaign, the referential luxury trend shows us retro is no longer about a general look from the past, but specific references only insiders will understand. Plant-based sneakers, milk-made apparel, and dairy-based wellness wear? Let's look at the megatrend of naturality and our number 14 trend, milk-made. Naturality is a megatrend that looks at the consumer desire to return to nature. And milk-made shows us this goes beyond food and into the clothes we wear. Milk Made focuses on repurposed waste from the dairy industry, integrated into apparel to help people reduce their carbon footprint and live a more eco-conscious life all around. Number 13 shows one of my personal favorite trends, Boomerlennials. Falling within our youthfulness megatrend focused on redefining age, Boomerlennials shows that things we associate with that millennial demographic, like story-based branding, home-sharing platforms, and even cannabis wellness, are actually quite popular among boomers. Aging doesn't mean what it used to, and people today refuse to be categorized by the year they were born. At 12, we look at the megatrend of tribalism and the concept of finding community in common principles. Genderless K-pop is a great example. Korean pop music has exploded in the past few years, and alongside it comes a redefinition of beauty ideals for men. K-pop skincare lines, boy band makeup, and Korean lipstick for men all break down barriers to resonate with a global community of young people who are actively looking to redefine gender expression. 
cartoon resorts, trivia hostels, and spy-themed travel. At number 11, we have gamified stay. The travel industry has changed in a big way since the rise of Airbnb, leaving traditional hotels seeking new ways to stay ahead. Gamification and interactive themes take travel to that next level. This falls within our megatrend of experience. As of 2018, 75% of Americans prioritize experience over products. So Gamified Stay will help people build those truly unique memories to last a lifetime. Our number 10 spot goes to Rewarded Action. Similar to Gamified Stay, Rewarded Action is all about that experience, but specifically the experience of achievement. This is the basis of our megatrend gamification and the desire for intangible gain. Rewarded action plays perfectly into that. Game of Thrones blood donations, car steering contests, and ski-through takeout all tie to the idea of not just consuming a product, but interacting with something truly irreplaceable. Wellness podcasts, whiskey podcasts, even podcasts about podcasts? At number nine, we have branded podcasting. Despite being a pretty analog form of entertainment, podcasts are more popular than ever. The discussion-based medium is seen as the more authentic alternative to visually focused media that relies on editing, making it a perfect fit for our authenticity megatrend. Many to Many is all about the uprising of the small business and peer-to-peer -peer economy, making P2P advice the perfect example for 2020. Peer-to-peer -peer nightlife apps, social shopping apps, and even P2P home cooking swaps. These examples show the next iteration of the peer-to-peer -peer economy, focusing on the value of a community's thoughts and opinions as an offshoot of the peer review. Number seven is all about personalization and the idea of a totally unique product made just for you as the ultimate goal, which is what we see with Holographic Assistant. Anime AI assistance, holographic gaming aids, and hologram car navigation all show us that truly personalized experiences don't just incorporate what a person likes, but have the capacity to learn about and anticipate one's habits. Interactive ghost stories, choose your own adventure shows, responsive voice assistant games, number six is all about adventure viewing. Adventure viewing shows media moving away from passive consumption and into interactive participation to accommodate the shrinking attention spans of the modern consumer. This fits perfectly within co-creation, a megatrend that looks at the desire and ability that today's consumer has to both make and consume entertainment. Our number five trend is car share collab, which falls within hybridization. Hybridization looks at the combination of multiple ideas to make for new business categories, and CarShare Collab shows many examples of this. Theme park branded ride shares, AI autonomous vehicles, and mall based ride shares all show car share services combining with seemingly unrelated products or services that intelligently slot into consumers' day to day ritual. Number four focuses on the megatrend of multi-sensation and the consumer desire for entertainment that stimulates multiple senses at once. We see this with behavioral installation. From EEG installations to facial recognition tech art, behavioral installation is about emotion-responsive technology, typically seen in marketing, repurposed for art and entertainment. At number three, we have first-time empowerment. This trend is all about brands stepping in as support for consumers reaching an exciting milestone. It may seem very specific, but this is the basis of the megatrend curation. 
Curation is all about hyper-targeted services and products like first period kits, fatherhood books, and proposal equality movements. Solitary wicker spaces, meditative public rooms, and quiet location travel, the number two spot goes to Active Silence. Active Silence looks at places and spaces where quiet is prioritized. This is the perfect example of our megatrend, Simplicity, which acknowledges that in a cluttered world, minimalism is the only thing that truly stands out. Finally, our number one spot goes to branded scholarships. Video game-inspired grants, charitable car ads, and Pokemon scholarships all show brands becoming more conscientious of their corporate social responsibility. Providing educational support is a great way to not just show social good, but take one step closer to a more equitable, brighter future by making education more accessible. This ties to the instant entrepreneurship. Okay, so that is the top 18 uh, trends, consumer trends that uh, they are expecting, and some did agree with the Euromonitor ones as well. So let's move on to the coolest tech you missed from the Consumer Electronics Show. Let's go. What's up guys, I'm Theo Joe, and as you can see, I'm here at CES 2020 again this year, and we're gonna take a look at what I think are the coolest stuff throughout all the show floors. It's not necessarily the biggest, flashiest stuff, but just really what I think is the coolest. Some of these are tiny booths, some of these are from the biggest booths you definitely heard of. So let's just go through and take a look. One of the first cool things I saw was from Bosch. It was a prototype visor for a car, but instead of actually just coming down and blocking your tire view, it basically used LCDs to adjust specifically where your eyes were and where the light source was, like from the sun, or in this case, they had a flashlight, and it would specifically just block parts of the visor screen that was shining in your eyes, so your face would just be completely protected, just blocking the source of the light, so you could still see through the rest of the visor which was really cool this is just a prototype but this would be really awesome in a car i could see going forward next up one really cool booth was the omron booth which had a lot of ai technology so for example they had a ping pong robot you might have seen other people talking about this and this robot is not designed to necessarily just be as good as possible and beat everyone but really is designed to train the player so it actually adjusts its performance based on how well the player is doing and actually uses cameras and AI to try to determine the mood of the player so if they're getting very frustrated they may reduce the difficulty automatically and I recall they also said it can do some crazy stuff like determining heart rate so you can see on the screen it showed what it thought the mood of the player was and then adjust accordingly so that was really cool also at the Omron booth they had some other robots like this I believe it's called a pick and place robot where on one side it was taking chips like fake chips off the conveyor belt and putting them into different uh, sleeves here, little boxes, and you could actually stick your hand in and rearrange the chips however you want. So it wasn't just a pre-programmed straight pick it up from one position, put it into another. It was actually very dynamic. So that was really cool to see. And a third really cool thing they had was this laser etching metal straw machine. So you could actually get your badge scanned and then it would laser etch your name onto a metal straw and then they would give it to you. So this was a really cool booth overall. I really enjoyed looking at all the AI stuff. 
All right, next up, this was definitely one of my favorites. It was just so cool, was the Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig. So you know Keurig makes these instant coffee machines. Well, now they make one for cocktails, literally alcoholic drinks, and it's the same idea. You buy these pods that work with this Drinkworks thing, and it actually has concentrated alcohol uh, mixture in there, and when it dispenses, it creates whatever cocktail flavor you want, like as if you had made it with the actual ingredients. So each pod has one standard drink within it. So depending on the type of drink you have, it's gonna be a different volume, but you know that each one is gonna, no matter what, have one standard drink within it. So if it's, I don't know, like a martini or something, it might be less concentrated than an old fashioned, so it would be bigger, you get the idea. And at the moment they have over 20 different flavored pods types you can get, and I believe they're making a lot more than that. And each pod pack comes with four of the pods. So it might be kind of expensive if you're buying each of one of these and each pod only makes one drink. But really that's kind of part of the point is you can easily keep track of how much you're actually drinking with this. And in the booth, they actually had a bunch of different samples you could try. I did try a bunch of them. They all tasted pretty good. So I probably am gonna get this. It's like a $300 price tag, but I think sometimes they're on sale. So I think it's pretty cool if you entertain people a lot or you just don't have to go out and buy a bunch of different mixers and ingredients and have to worry about keeping them fresh and stuff like that. All right, the next really cool booth I thought was from Kohler. This is a company that makes kitchen and bathroom stuff, or at least that's what they were showing here. And it might not sound exciting, but there was actually some really useful things here. For example, they have a smart faucet that links with like Google Assistant here they had, and you can actually ask Google Assistant to tell the faucet to dispense specific amounts of water. So here they said, dispense one cup of water, and then it dispensed one cup of water. So that was really awesome. They also had some other cool stuff like a smart shower, controller where you could connect different shower heads if you have multiple of them you control the temperature the different sprayers the pressure that sort of thing they had a smart shower speaker that literally plugged into the shower head and it was like waterproof that was pretty neat and then finally they had the most extra toilet ever i mean this thing looked ridiculous but at the same time it's really cool it literally had rgb lighting for the toilet it had like a motion sensor to open with your foot I believe it was a heated seat. There was like a wall controller. I mean, this thing was so ridiculous, but at the same time, I mean, who wouldn't want to have that toilet in their house? It was just so extra. I love it. The next really cool little booth we saw was for this product called Mudo Go, which is basically like a smart air freshener where you buy these like scent pods and you kind of combine them together however you want. You put four of them in this machine and then you can have it kind of dispense a custom-made scent into your house, like a custom-made air freshener. And in the booth, they had these little mini booths set up with these walls where you could step in and then each of the four had a different scent. So I stepped into it, it, it smelled pretty good. They also had a giant wall showing a bunch of the different pods you could get, which was a cool display. Uh, this is probably gonna be a little bit expensive. It's one of those things where you have to keep buying the pods, obviously. But if you do have some disposable income and you really like your house to smell nice, this might be a cool thing to check out. All right, now we can talk about Nanoleaf, which is a product that I actually have in my house. I love it, so I wanted to check out their booth, and they had a really awesome display. I mean, if you're not familiar with these, they basically are these smart light panels you can put up. They have a few different shapes, and I mean, they completely covered pretty much every wall of their booth with these Nanoleaf panels, and it looked really awesome. I'd never seen this many, 
at one place. So this must have cost a fortune, at least at the retail price. They also had this indoor little room with it all over the walls that was showing how they have software that you can kind of mirror the average color of the computer monitor and then it would display that in the NanoLeaf uh, lights you had around. They also showed off some learning series products they're launching, I guess like motion sensors that can kind of detect what you typically do during the day and then adjust the lighting based on that. And then finally they had new hexagon shaped lights that are apparently coming later this year. So I always like when they launch a new shape, so that'll be pretty cool. I currently have the square ones, the triangle ones. I guess I'll probably have to get the hexagon ones when they eventually launch. Next we can look at the Procter & Gamble Life Lab booth they were calling it. They had a huge variety of stuff, but really the main attraction, which I thought was hilarious, was this toilet paper delivery robot. Unfortunately, it was just a demo concept. You can't actually buy it, but it was really funny to see that they had something like this, and I think it got a lot of press coverage just because it's so ridiculous. So that was pretty funny, but also in the booth, they had some other stuff like this giant toothbrush showing how mechanical toothbrushes work. Procter & Gamble sells like the Oral-B brand. They also had some different razors around. I didn't even get footage of that, but they also had this air freshener system called the Area, which was pretty cool. So just cool stuff in general in this booth. Here's a cool little booth that you might not have ever heard of before. It's this product called Twinkly, which are these smart Christmas lights. I actually bought one of these one time, and it's basically RGB lights that you wrap around the tree. But the cool thing is that you use the app to actually take a video or picture of the tree after you set up the lights and it analyzes it and maps where each of the lights are so then you can use that to create animations that actually look decent so the app knows exactly where each light on the tree is so it can create the animation how it's actually supposed to look so you can have these wild spiral type animations these like gradient ones that actually look really awesome you can see this giant tree they had set up had like 3,000 of these lights on so this was just a cool thing that I saw in the middle of the show floor and I thought it was cool because you know I bought it one time and it works pretty well actually another product I recognized was from Blackview this is a company that makes dash cams and I actually have one of these in their car but the thing that caught my eye was this 4g cellular cloud connectivity module they're selling or I believe will be selling and the basic idea is you can now connect your dash cam or the ones that support at least to this cellular connectivity and then you can basically cloud back up your footage so this could be good if I don't know you're worried about your memory card with your dash cam footage on it breaking or you're worried about someone stealing your car and then obviously you lose the footage or something like that and then you can never have to worry about losing it and the one thing is you will have to I believe have a separate carrier plan so you'll have to go through your cell carrier get a data only card with that but still the fact that this is an option is neat and finally we can look at some other various things that were around the show floor so for example I don't even know what booth this was but they had this like walking robot that reminded me of the uh, Boston Dynamics robots also Sony made a car you probably saw that that was in the Sony booth that was remarkable and then also Western Digital had this little breakfast where they had this eight terabyte prototype portable SSD. So an eight terabyte SSD, absolutely ridiculous, especially in this form factor, but really awesome. So that was just cool to see. So there you have it. Just some things that I thought was the coolest stuff at CES. Let me know what you guys thought was your favorite. If there was anything I completely missed, be sure to let me know down there as well. So thanks for watching guys and I'll see you in the next one. All right, so there you go, the coolest tech you missed from the Consumer Electronics Show uh, posted by Theo Joe on YouTube.
All right, so if you have any comments on anything you've heard on the show today, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. So this is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM. Heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at noon, and Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm Diane Rebecca, wishing everyone a safe and good week. <laughs>